Welcome to the Treble Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Thompson, audiologist and founder of Treble Health. This podcast is supported by treblehealth.com, the nation's leading telehealth service for tinnitus and hearing loss treatment. Thank you for being here on our podcast and make sure to subscribe to get our newest episodes sent straight to you. Let's get ahead with today's episode. Hey everyone, you're here with three audiologists who focus on tinnitus and today's video will be a dive into some of the newest research in the tinnitus community. If you've ever wondered, are researchers putting energy into tinnitus? Does anyone care about tinnitus and is there new research going into it? We're going to interpret and simplify some of the newest research for you. Dr. Michelle is going to start with a summary of article number one. So we're going to be reviewing an article that was looking at high-frequency audiometry as a tool for diagnosing patients with tinnitus. So most people, when they have a hearing test completed, they test the standard frequency range of usually 250 hertz to 8,000 hertz. Sometimes they'll include 125 hertz. So in this study, the researchers were looking to see whether or not ultra-high-frequency testing, so testing above 8,000, typically between 9,000 hertz and 20,000 hertz, showed differences between individuals who had tinnitus and individuals who do not have tinnitus. And so they had 75 individuals with high-frequency tinnitus, and all of those people had normal hearing on their standard hearing test. So from 125 hertz to 8,000 hertz, hearing was within normal limits. And they had ultra-high-frequency testing completed, and they found that people who had tinnitus in just one ear, unilateral tinnitus, actually had unilateral ultra-high-frequency hearing loss in the ear that they reported having tinnitus in. And for individuals who had tinnitus in both ears bilaterally, they showed signs of having ultra-high-frequency hearing loss. And if they had perceived tinnitus being worse or greater in one ear, that usually was the ear that they had greater amount of ultra-high-frequency hearing loss. They, of course, compared it to a control group. So control group included individuals who do not have any complaints of tinnitus, but also had normal hearing from 125 hertz to 8,000 hertz. And interestingly enough, they didn't find these individuals to have ultra high frequency hearing loss. So the researchers concluded that they felt that ultra high frequency testing could be a helpful tool when someone is reporting tinnitus that we can actually try to find out and see if there's any physiological changes to their auditory system. Thank you, Michelle. I think this is a great study because I think that um, for years I've been I've been advocating for um, ultra high frequency audiometry to be a standard part of an assessment, especially for a patient with tinnitus. We know that the standard audio was really designed for the purposes of diagnosing a hearing loss for fitting a hearing aid. Um, and so we know that, you know, the auditory system goes out to 20,000 hertz. There's a huge chunk that isn't typically assessed in, in a standard routine um, evaluation. You can get a lot more information as far as what might be going on with the tinnitus patient if you're including that test. It doesn't take that long to do. Um, you know, you do need to have, uh, clinics need to have um, special headphones that are calibrated, but it doesn't take more than, you know, uh, a handful of minutes to be able to run through that assessment. And I just feel like it gives a lot more information, both for the patient and also for the provider in terms of like, 
how we're looking at what types of sounds might be useful. It just gives a little bit more pieces to the puzzle and gives us a more comprehensive look at what's going on in the patient's auditory system. I feel like it also helps to support the experience that patients are having because oftentimes when they do go to get their hearing tested and they're told that their hearing is fine or if they've already had like a known hearing loss before and they're told, no, your hearing is exactly the same as it was, then it kind of dismisses what they're feeling, what they're actually living with. And this is a really good tool for them to be able to see, okay, there is actually something happening within my hearing that might be contributing to my perception of tinnitus. Absolutely. And most of us have an abnormal high frequency hearing test. I mean, to have perfectly normal hearing through all the possible pitches that can be tested is rare in my opinion. There are ranges of, okay, this is normal hearing for high pitches, for high sounds. For someone with tinnitus, like you had said, Michelle, to go to a clinic, to speak to an ENT, to have a hearing test and be told your hearing is normal and there's not anything that that clinic can do, not only is it possibly inaccurate based on this research because the hearing that we tested was in the normal range, um, but it doesn't mean that it's perfectly normal. It doesn't mean your hearing is the same as what it was 20 years ago. So that difference between hearing now and maybe 20 years ago, that small difference or potentially big difference is all that's needed for the brain to take some buzzy electrical hum or electrical charge and amplify it due to other situations like stress, life events, medication changes, and other causes of tinnitus. So testing the high frequencies and testing the high pitches of sound in this, in this study, I felt like does give something else to the patient to say, okay, my hearing is not completely normal. I'm not necessarily going to have a surgery or a medication to change that hearing based on that test, but at least I know now some part of the system where I can point to, to explain why I developed tinnitus. Exactly. It helps to, it helps to be able to understand like the underlying mechanisms for that generation of that tinnitus signal, right? It's sort of, instead of hearing like there's, you know, your hearing's normal, there should be no problem or, um, or your hearing loss is normal for your age. You know, if you have a mild, like mild hearing loss, like it, it, it helps to, to give um, rational reasons why their tinnitus might be occurring, right? Why that signal is being generated. And I think that helps with like making it less scary. It demystifies what's going on and frames it in a way that's like, okay, here's what it is. Here's what, here's what we can do about it. It makes it more knowledge is, is power for a patient with tinnitus. So it helps to give that context around it, which is really useful. I also feel like this shows that there's some kind of gaps in terms of like our overall hearing healthcare that we generally provide. For example, there isn't really standardized like years of age where we should have full hearing evaluations done. And it might be, you know, it might be more helpful if we do have like regular hearing tests that are recommended, you know, let's say, you know, in childhood and then at 20 and then maybe, you know, 30 and there's periodic requirements for having your hearing tested, but also checking the full range that we can hear to determine if there's early signs of hearing loss. It's also you know, surprising having worked in a hospital where we did a lot of ototoxic monitoring and we would oftentimes do ultra high frequency testing like this, including um, otoacoustic emissions testing, which also assesses how the hair cells are functioning. It's, we were, you know, we we're always told this, we do this type of testing because we'll see signs of hearing loss and impairment on these tests before we'll actually see it on the standard hearing test. So it seems like I think this is kind of like the route where maybe 
standard audiological care will include the full range of the hearing that we have and maybe also always like including autoacoustic emissions. So again, we can kind of like catch and see when some of these changes are happening. And especially if they start to coincide with like the perceptions of tinnitus or even hyperacusis. Any tinnitus patient should be getting as a standard ultra high frequencies, autoacoustic emissions, loudness, discomfort levels, like that should be a standard part of the evaluation when they're going to see their audiologist. So I think that that's, that's something that a lot of our patients have to advocate for themselves on at this point um, until we can maybe change, you know, maybe this video will change, uh, change the way a tinnitus patient is assessed. But I think, yeah, you can be missing a significant percentage of those sensory hair cells and get a normal 250 to 8,000 Hertz audiogram. And it, and it's not, it's not an accurate representation of what's actually going on in both the peripheral and central part of the system. This is an interruption from today's podcast episode to announce the winner of the weekly Sunday treble health giveaway. Every week we give away some of the most helpful tools to help you manage tinnitus. And all you have to do to qualify to be a winner is to subscribe to our YouTube channel, number one, and number two, go to treble.health slash giveaway. Again, that's treble.health slash giveaway and put in your email address to join our email list. And with those two pieces of information, you'll be qualified to enter. This week's giveaway winner will receive a Sound Oasis BST100 sound machine. This device has almost 20 unique sounds that can be played for tinnitus, and it even has a computer chip that holds the sounds inside of the device. It does not rely on Bluetooth. This can help with your work from home station, your office, helping falling asleep at night. It has crickets, white noise, pink noise. Overall, it's a great product for sound therapy. So make sure you follow the link treble.health slash giveaway. It will be posted in the description of this video and subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can qualify to win free tinnitus tools and sound therapy equipment. The results will be announced every Sunday during our weekly podcast episodes. This week's winner is Hector C. Hector, I hope you enjoy the Sound Oasis, and let's get back to the Tinnitus Relief podcast episode. In the second study that we reviewed, it was looking at whether or not there's an objective way of detecting tinnitus based on electrophysiological testing. So electrophysiological testing is similar to like if you've ever had an EKG done, it's using usually like electrodes to assess different types of waveforms that correspond with different types of different areas of our auditory system. So as audiologists, we have a whole slew of electrophysiological tests that we can do. And what the literature review actually found was there isn't one specific way that we can identify, clearly identify tinnitus in individuals who have it through methods of auditory brainstem response testing or electrocochleography testing or evoked response potential testing. And again, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that there's so many different causes of tinnitus that it makes it really hard to be able to clearly come up with one test that always shows, let's say, abnormal responses from people who have tinnitus versus those that don't. Yeah, I think that this is this is an area that certainly has opportunity. I think that a lot of the imaging studies, PET scans and functional MRI actually give us um, some more information in terms of a more objective measure potentially for identifying and then also as an outcome measure for, for tinnitus treatment, sort of pre and post treatment. Because as you mentioned, Shell, the, the 
networks that are involved in tinnitus are so multimodal in the brain. It's, it's across so many different areas, not just auditory, not just limbic, but motor cortex. Like, so it's, it's hard to find one electrophysiological test that's going to be able to capture what's, what's actually going on. And as we all know, tinnitus is so subjective and unique to each individual that I, I think, you know, using measures and assessments and some of the comprehensive questionnaires that we currently use in our um, in our practice, like the tinnitus functional index or TFI and some of the other questionnaires, I think are at this point in time, more useful clinically for us as providers and to use as a counseling tool to track patients success so far in their treatment than an objective measure using electrophysiology right now, but there's opportunity for sure. I just think this is an area that needs, needs to be sort of really explored in more detail before it becomes a useful assessment. In the final study, it was looking at whether or not improvement in tinnitus was maintained after someone used sound therapy. So they were looking at a six-month follow-up study to see if 18 adults with chronic sensory neural tinnitus actually were able to maintain the improvement in their tinnitus six months later. And they found that most of the individuals did. So it really helped to support the fact that sound therapy, and in this study, they were using sound therapy through a smartphone. And they were also trying to gauge the sound therapy volume level so that it was at a mixing point. So generally speaking, like softer than one's tinnitus. And they found that like, again, after six months, most individuals did continue to experience an improvement or tinnitus. They didn't revert back to how they were after, um, before they had the sound therapy treatment. And they had reductions in a test, in a questionnaire that they completed, which was the Korean version of the tinnitus primary function questionnaire. So it's kind of similar to the questionnaire that we use here at Trouble Health, the tinnitus functional index. And their scores were maintained even after six months. So again, really positive and showing that sound therapy is a really viable and powerful tool for helping to manage and maintain the improvement that one has in with their tinnitus. I'll, I'll add that sound therapy can be something simple, like coming through your phone, right? That's the easiest sound that people have access to going and finding a tinnitus app and putting on one of those comforting, soothing sounds and have it on in the background when you're indoors in a quiet place having it at a level that's lower than your tinnitus, that's a basic form of sound therapy, right? But someone can you know, do math, but it doesn't mean they're a rocket scientist. So there's a full range of like what sound therapy encompasses. That would be basic entry-level sound therapy and the, all the way up to the gold standard of having devices on the ears like tinnitus maskers or hearing aids that are programmed for tinnitus. And there's other things in between like sound machines, bone conduction headphones. Uh, the great thing about this research is that it supports tinnitus retraining therapy, which has been studied for about two or three decades now. And it explained how sound therapy alone has a beneficial effect for reducing the baseline levels of tinnitus. And it typically holds the improvement after the treatment period is over. Now, when we add things to complement sound therapy, like professional counseling, like uh, guided breathing and relaxation techniques, then the results compound and are even better. I agree with Dr. Ben on sort of a more comprehensive approach, which is what we um, practice here at Trouble Health. But I think that this study shows and, and what we've seen um, for years and years is that using sound therapy as part of a tinnitus retraining program can be really beneficial. And it doesn't matter if your tinnitus has started, you know, 
within one week, whether you've had it for a couple of years, um, whether it's something that, you know, you've been having to try to manage for a period of time that sound therapy, when it's implemented in the appropriate ways, and I think under the guidance of a professional who really knows how to tailor it specifically to your needs can be really successful. And I've seen that over and over um, again in, in my clinical practice. I also feel like the results from this study also help to kind of put people at ease because a lot of my patients will worry, okay, so if I'm better now, or if I'm noticing things are improving, is this like for real? Is it going to, am I going to go back to how I was? Is it going to actually maintain at this level or even better and continue to decrease over time? And this study, along with, I'm sure many others help to support the fact that yes, you know, using sound therapy, using tinnitus retraining therapy, the results do tend to last. And that's what I've seen with my patients. And I'm sure that you guys have also seen it with yours. Yeah. It may bring up a concern or a question of if I wear sound therapy devices on my ears, do I need to use them forever like hearing aids? And the answer is no. And this study shows when you use the sound therapy during a rehabilitation period, then at the end, you're back on the field. You can play again. You don't need the sound therapy. You can be in quieter places and you might choose to have it but you don't need it once you reach that point, what we call habituation. Exactly. Once your brain has sort of recategorized that tinnitus to being a neutral signal, you you no longer need to use that sound therapy, you know, that sort of dedicated protocol, and you can start to taper, you know, taper off at the end. So it's not something that you have to use forever. That, That question comes up a lot. So that was good to point out, Ben. Excellent. If you guys have questions, different research topics you want to see, let us know in the comments. We're doing these research updates monthly for you in the tinnitus community. And we'll add another video above here on the screen that you can click to uh, watch more about tinnitus research. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. This is your host, Dr. Ben Thompson. If you have two minutes, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a five-star review on the Apple Podcast platform for the Treble Health Podcast. Thank you for your time. And if you need any services for tinnitus or hearing aids, please head over to treblehealth.com and our team of expert audiologists will be able to help you via telehealth. Have a great one and see you soon.